hit and record. There we go. Father, we just come to you, and I just give you such thanks and praise for what you've done over the course of these six weeks. It has been quite evident that your spirit has been palpable in this room. And Lord, it is just such a joyful thing for me to get to hear women say, boy, that message was right for me. That message just spoke clearly to me, the scriptures, everything about it. And and Lord, that's just your Holy Spirit at work. And I just want to give you the glory and the praise for that. And so we just ask today, Lord, that you would do nothing less than you've done every single week. Come speak to us, be present in this room. And I pray that we would be so encouraged by what we hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, girls, so last week of the six-week series on hope, and I want to be redundant just a little bit. I don't think we can express it enough, what hope means, what the definition of hope that we're really using as our anchor for this study is. It comes from Hebrews 6.19, and it says, This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. In 1 Timothy 1, chapter 1, Paul He said, Paul is speaking, he's writing to Timothy, and he says, Paul, I, meaning I am an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope? Who is our hope? And so if we haven't, if I haven't said anything, if you haven't gotten this, then I've not done a great job at all, is that our hope is Christ himself. Our hope is not a destination. Our hope is not um, a desired outcome. Our hope is Jesus. Because if we know anything... We know that life is unpredictable. And we know that life does not give favors, hand out favors to any of us. That none of us are immune to suffering. None of us are immune to tragedy. None of us are immune to curveballs coming into our lives. And so if my hope rests in, like what Sylvia was saying, the ability to control my life, the ability to fix it, the ability to make it go well, boy, I will be headed to devastation in just a short amount of time. And so if my hope is anchored in Christ, though, I can weather the storm because he weathers the storm through me. And that's what I want to look at today. Today's topic for me is the last, and it's, it's tender, and so I want to get through it well, but it's, it's the hope that we have in Christ of a promised future. And that means the hope of heaven. And I just want to pause for a minute and recognize that there's many of us in the room that have lost loved ones and some of us have lost loved ones tragically some of us have lost loved ones far too soon and and we still grieve the loss of those loved ones and so the topic today is tender in that sense because we're talking about the hope that we'll see our loved ones again but it's also the hope of heaven that bleeds into our current situations If you're experiencing grief because of a strained marriage, or you're experiencing grief because of a wayward child, or maybe you're experiencing grief because of the loss of a dream, or it it doesn't really matter. And so we're specifically going to be talking about what happens to our loved ones and to us after we die today. But I was talking to my best friend on the way up here, and she's in a really difficult season. She doesn't live in Houston. I was asking for her to pray for me for wisdom as I teach today. And she said, you know what? I need the hope of heaven in my marriage today. And she said, the hope of heaven is critical regardless of what we're experiencing. That was such a great reminder because I think it's really true. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we go. Because for me in my own life, um, I've not lost a loved one in a tragic sense. 
have not experienced that. I've lost a, my grandparents. They died in their elderly years. Uh, my dad died too soon, and he died suddenly. He was driving to work, and he, pull, he was feeling chest pain, so he pulled over, called the ambulance, and was taken to the hospital, and they were running a bunch of tests in San Antonio. We were trying to life flight him to Houston to get him good medical care. He was in the VA hospital in San Antonio. Not that that's a bad hospital, but we had some connections with St. Luke's here, and we were trying to get him here. And my husband, I think some of you know this story, we were going to life light him the next day, and I think on a Friday, and this was Thursday, and Jason was praying, and he came out of his, our room, and it was about 5 o'clock Thursday, and he said, we need to go see your dad in San Antonio today, tonight, we need to just go on now. And I was like, why? We, we're going to, he'll be here tomorrow. And at that point, his, a lot of his levels, I don't even know what, were elevated and, and signs were not great, but he was not in critical state. And so, but I, like the good wife, trusted my husband and got in the car and went the whole time thinking, why are we doing this? But we were driving to San Antonio, and by the time we got there, it was after 9 o'clock, so it was after visiting hours. And so I called ahead and said, I'm clergy, could I come in and see um, David Coleman? And they said yes. And so Jason pulled up and dropped me off. And I went in to see him and had just the sweetest time with my dad. Sweet, sweet time. Got to tell him I loved him. Got to look him in the eye. Got to kiss him. All the while saying, Daddy, I'll be back in the morning. And I'll be with you as they lifelight you. And then we'll head to Houston. My twin sister stayed in Houston. And she'll be there. My brother had come to San Antonio. Anyway, so I go back to the hotel. And we have our kid. We have, it was me and Jason. I don't remember if our kids were with us or not. But about 1.30, I get a call from the hospital, and my dad's in cardiac arrest, and I rush back up to the hospital and walk into the room as they're trying to revive him, and he did not make it, and it was, it was um, really, really sudden, and it was, I was caught off guard by it, and it was um, incredibly painful, and I grieved my dad because I had a, such a sweet, tender affection for him, uh, but what was different is I didn't grieve without hope and it didn't happen so tragically that I was sucker punched in a way that I couldn't catch my breath. And so I say that to you is that I've experienced sudden death with a loved one, but I've not experienced tragic death. And so I want to be incredibly sensitive today because some of you have. And so as we move in, the verse that we'll be looking at that's kind of anchoring this particular study today is found in 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to be, I'm going to teach out of this passage, but the first verse itself I want to read to you, and it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, again, this is Paul speaking. He says, We want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope like people who have no hope, that you will not grieve like people that have no hope. And, and as we move into this today, I want to be really clear that the Bible doesn't say we want to explain this to you so that you won't grieve. It says so that you won't grieve like those that have no hope. And that's the critical difference. We will grieve. We will grieve. And it is healthy and it is right and it is expected that we would grieve. Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus. Jesus understands our grief. Jesus stores up every tear. And so grief is a part of life. And if we stuff that and pretend like um, it shows greater faith not to grieve and that we should just be okay with these tragedies that come through our life, then you're not really living in the truth. 
Because the truth is, is that we grieve and Jesus grieves with us. You're not alone in your grief. And grief is real. And for me, had I not fully grieved my dad, I'd still be stuck. And I've got a friend who lost a brother suddenly, and her mom has been stuck for years because she can't get out of that cycle of grief. And in some ways, she doesn't want to because it feels like then she's letting him go. And so it's really important that we grieve, but that we grieve authentically and real, but that as we grieve, we grieve as believers who have hope. Because hope, I mean, those that grieve without hope, it leads to total despair. Total despair. But Paul is saying that we grieve with a hope that we have unlike those that don't believe. And so let's move forward a little bit and we'll look at this. And and one um, commentary that I read about this says, as Christians, we may mourn the death of other Christians, but not as others who have no hope. It says, our sorrow is like the sadness of seeing someone off on a long trip, knowing that you will see them again, but not for a long time. Not for a long time. Now, I think this is even, um, I think this is true, but I think it's a little too light in the sense that if I lose someone, a dear friend of mine that I grew up with lost her son nine years old uh, five months ago very tragically. And her sorrow is much greater than seeing someone off on a long trip. But she grieves with hope. And I've been in close contact with her for the last five months. And even this morning, I sent her a message and said, listen, we're talking about this today. Give me some of your feedback. And so I'll share that with you at the end. But he's right in the sense that we grieve because our loved ones, and Scripture even says that, um, well, let me go on in verse 14. It says, Paul continues to say, he says, for since we believe. Now, I want you to underline and circle that because that's a critical part. It says, since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, that God will bring with him the believers who have died. Now, that word died literally is translated to mean more of sleep, like sleep. And that's where this commentator is getting this, is that for those that are in Christ, when they die, their bodies may go into a grave, but their spirit is present with the Lord. And we'll see this as Paul talks about this in Scripture as we continue on. But what I don't want to pass over in verse 14 is that it says, since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again. You see, this hope hinges on our belief in Jesus. This hope that we will see loved ones again hinges on Jesus' final work at the cross. I was at a funeral on Monday of a friend of mine who, um, whose mother died. And the pastor didn't really talk about Jesus and talked in this, in this universal sense that maybe we'll see her again, maybe we won't. And I thought it was quite tragic, honestly, because Scripture is so clear that because of Jesus' final work on the cross, He conquered death forever. That was the point of the cross, because in Romans it says, the wages of sin is death. But because of Christ's work on the cross, He has forever conquered death. That means that we don't have to fear death. That means that when I die, that's not the end. That's not the end. But the reason I have that hope is because Jesus did die in my place. And so our hope, Paul is very clear in verse 14, says, Since we believe 
that Jesus died and was raised to life again. We also believe that when Jesus returns, that God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So what's critical about this is that you and I believe the truth of the scriptures. Because we can go to church and not really even understand the scriptures, A. But B, we can understand them and still not believe them. And nothing will kind of squeeze out in us what we truly believe than when we are under this level of stress. And when we lose a loved one, boy, does it not just bring forth to the surface what we really believe. I remember when my grandfather died, my sweet grandmother had been in church, they'd gone to church, and she kind of had a working knowledge of Jesus. But when she lost her husband, boy, it brought to the surface that she didn't really know what she believed. And she was very unsure and very frightened about where her husband was and what had happened. And she came to the Lord through that because she began to ask questions that she never really entertained before. And so Paul is clear that since we believe that Jesus did in fact die and was raised again, death has lost its sting. And so our loved ones are with him those that have gone before us, they're with him, they're present with him now, and we will be reunited with them again. And so that's why we have hope. We don't have hope because we think positively. We have hope because of Jesus, who is our hope. And so those of us who believe, and so I want to challenge us this morning to continue to ask our questions, what is it that I really believe? What do I really believe? Because I know for me, in the heat of the moment, when I'm in the middle of the most stressful seasons, I can walk and function as a woman that does not believe the truth. Because my emotions have taken over and I'm either gripped by fear, gripped by anxiety, gripped by grief, whatever it is. And until I stop and say, hold on. What am I thinking? What are these thoughts? Where am I? Where's my head? What do I really believe? It's the belief, the renewing of our mind, believing the truth that will bring our emotions into line with the truth. So just because I've given my life to Jesus and I'm saved and I'm in Christ doesn't automatically mean that when crisis hits that I'm just going to skate through it. And I won't skate through it no matter what. But I can find myself spinning out of control and I have to stop and go, wait just a second. What do I really believe? Do I believe that there's a heaven? Do I believe the hope that death has been conquered? Do I believe that my dad is with Jesus today? Do I believe that or not? Do I believe it or not? And so when I believe it, when I trust what is true, then everything begins to kind of fall back into place. My shoulders begin to relax. I begin to sleep better at night. I begin to trust, okay, I still grieve, but I don't grieve without hope. And I'm not a frantic mess. And that's what Paul is saying. Since we believe, because of our belief, we have this hope. When it says then, as I mentioned, it says, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Um, Christians used to call death as sleep back in this day. They really meant it as sleep. And that's why they named cemeteries cemeteries because they mean that really means dormitories or sleeping places. And so Christians have always been under the belief that when your loved one dies, they're sleeping. And I think that sleeping isn't biblical in the sense that they're literally asleep and they don't, they're kind of in some holding pattern until they're face to face with the Lord. It just means that death has not conquered them 
You know what I mean? And so Paul, and Paul says that in Philippians 1.20, he talks about himself and he says, For I fully expect and hope that I'll never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So really, I don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ. So he's saying, when he dies, he's immediately, he longs to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But he says, for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live here. Paul had the right perspective. Paul understood what the work of the cross meant for him for eternity. It meant for Paul that when he dies, he'll be face to face in um, full connection with Christ, his Savior. His spirit will be united with Christ. And that's far better than to live out this life on this earth. And so the hope I have for my dad... He died too soon. He was not even 75. But I was so grateful because he got to celebrate his birthday with Jesus. And so that day, that first day in church, I remember that it was his birthday. I was just, I had such gratitude because I believe what the Word of God says, that he is with the Lord. And so that's the hinging factor there is what is it you really believe about death? What is it you believe about Jesus' work on the cross in relationship to death? What, does it believe, what do you believe about your loved ones and death? So Paul is saying, it's better for me to die, but I'm here because my work is not done. In verse 15, he goes on to say, he says, We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who died. So he's just trying to explain something quickly. He says in verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. And then, I'll explain that in just a second. Don't freak out. And then he says, and then in verse 17, he says, Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So he says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from the graves. Okay, here's what, here's what this means. And let me read a commentary, and then I'll read Paul what Paul says about it in 2 Corinthians. But a commentator, I think, words it beautifully. He says, There will come a day when, in God's eternal plan, that the dead in Christ will receive their resurrection bodies. Okay, different from their spirit. And it says, um, Yet until that day, we are confident that the dead in Christ are not in some kind of soul sleep or suspended animation. Paul made it clear that to be absent from the body means to be present with the Lord. Either the present dead in Christ are with the Lord in a spiritual body and are simply awaiting their final resurrection body, hence the grave thing, or because of nature's timeless eternity, they have received their resurrection bodies because they live in the eternal now. And so the dead will rise means that we all receive these like Giselle-like bodies. Like I was thinking about it. Do y'all watch Dancing with the Stars? Because, see, you see all of their bodies because they don't wear any clothes. But I watched that show. How do we go from heaven to Dancing with the Stars? I don't know. But, but I watched that show, and I look at some of those women. I'm like, how does one body look like that? I mean, how is that even possible? I mean, I know they're spray tanned, but it's just like, 
unbelievable, you know? And I think, my, my resurrection body is going to be better than that. Better than that, Julianne Huff. You just wait until you see me. But that's what this means. And so until that time, when, our, when we die before Jesus returns, our spirit is with him. And then eventually our resurrection bodies will be granted, along with those believers that that don't experience death. I want to be that person. I want to be here on this earth selfishly. I want to be here and I want to be standing somewhere just magically in a line holding hands with my family when it happens. And I want Jesus to come back with a glorious trumpet sound and us to be caught up together. I would love, love, love that. But if I don't outlive my kids or if God forbid one of them doesn't outlive me, I still have the hope that we'll be reunited. We will be reunited. Death has not won. And it's something that is a glorious hope. A glorious hope. Paul says this in relationship to what I just read in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. He says, For we know that when this earthly tent, he's talking about our physical bodies, when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, that we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. He's going to say, Laura, you, you don't even know how to dream about what you're going to experience in heaven, even in relationship to your resurrected body. You don't even know how to dream about it. It's going to be so good. Verse 2, it says, When we grow weary in our present bodies. Don't y'all grow weary in your present body? I just tried to, to jog, to run on Monday, and Tuesday my knee was killing me all day. And I was like, I'm so tired of that. And it's just starting. It's just starting. I watched my sweet mom who's 77. It takes, it's like, it, she just takes her 20 extra minutes to get up in the morning just because she's so stiff. These present bodies continue to decline while our spiritual bodies continue to incline. Our spiritual souls continue to grow in wisdom and peace and love as we continue to walk in Him. I'm far more peaceful this year than I was last year. And that's simply because God is renewing me every day. And so in, internally, I'm getting better and better, but externally, it ain't getting that great. Is getting saggier and saggier. And he says, We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will be put so for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he's given us his Holy Spirit. So while we live on this earth, when these mysterious truths about the Lord are difficult to grasp, we have the Holy Spirit that gives us that check, that confirmation that goes, I don't understand it all, but I believe it. I believe it to be true. That makes sense. I feel like that's speaking right to me this morning. That's connecting with me. It says, so we are always confident. Remember, hope is the confident expectation that what God has promised in His Word is true. So we are always confident, meaning hopeful, that even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord, our final home. For we live by believing and not by seeing. I don't know if I put this on your thing, but, we li but that's critical that we, we catch that. It's verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 8. It says, For we live by believing and not by seeing. It's 2 Corinthians 5. Sorry. It says, Yes, we are fully confident that we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. We will be at home with the Lord. 
So here's the thing. When I started this message, and when I started this series, actually, about seven weeks ago, this series was birthed out of an experience that happened in our community to a beloved elementary school teacher that at my children's school, her 14-year-old son took his life tragically one morning uh, right after Christmas break. And it was a, it flipped our school upside down. It flipped our community upside down. This sweet woman has not been back to school. And I had lots of these little PTO moms coming to me saying, you got to explain this. What, where is he? This is, this is nerve-wracking. And where is our hope? And that's what has, has been so helpful to me as I've dived into this study is that we have hope for so many different reasons, but one of the greatest is that we have hope of an eternal future with the Lord. Is that this isn't all there is. This life ain't the end. Our life is like a blip on the big screen of eternity. And those loved ones, this sweet boy, he's in heaven with the Lord. Our friends, my, those that are in Christ, and this family, was, they were believers. He was just deeply troubled. God's mercy and grace I, for that sweet mom, is she'll see him again one day. And so for me and for you, as I've taught this this morning, as I've, I'm exploring, this is not an easy topic to discuss in the sense of it brings up pain about our loved ones. But as you're thinking of those loved ones that have gone before you, I want you to get in your mind the reality that for those of us that are in Christ, for those of us that have put our faith in him and that receive forgiveness for our sin, we're with, we're, they're with him in heaven. And I will see them again. And my sweet friend, Jana, that said, um, that lost her nine-year-old son five months ago, I sent her an email this morning, and I said, tell me what this has been like for you, and tell me what has given you hope. And I actually want to find it, and I'm just going to read it to you, because her words will be better than my paraphrase. Because when... um, Paul says this in verse 17. He says, Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on this earth, we're going to be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and then we will be with the Lord forever. And then he finishes the passage, and he says, So encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other. And so what I want to do is spend the last few minutes with you and talk about what it means to encourage one another with these words. But I want to read to you what Janice said. I told her I would share this. I had permission from her to share this this morning. Um, I said, my email to her this morning was, I told her what we were talking about. And I said, you of all of us understand so freshly what, what this means to lose a loved one. And, and she loves the Lord. And she said, the thing that's helped the most are the precious promises of God that have been so real to me in this um, season. Promises of his comfort, a comfort people so badly want to give but that he really is the only comforter. And she said, running to him and his word, the reality that he knows my pain and catches every tear I cry in a bottle. She said, not a single tear I cry goes unnoticed by him, and there's been a lot of tears, she said. And then mostly his promise that my boy is whole and healed and happy. That my boy is whole and healed and happy. I try not to focus too much on seeing him again in heaven because I know my focus will then be on that. And and she's got six other kids. 
but knowing that we will worship side by side, feast together, and even work together in the new heavens. That is so, so sweet. And she said, thanks for your prayers. They mean a lot. And I think it's so, um, and then I'll, I won't read the, the rest of what she said, but I think that perspective goes back to what Paul is saying when he says, since we believe, since we believe that this is true, we have hope. And so it's critical for Jana that she believes the truth because the truth that she's believing is what's getting her through the day. And in that belief, as we walk that truth, that belief out, the Lord ministers His grace to us and she's experienced and tasted the Lord experientially. Not just in her head, but experientially she's tasted Him in a way that I've never tasted Him. She's been comforted by Him at a depth that I don't know. And some of us in the room have experienced tragedy that are outside of death, but maybe just losses and failed relationships or whatever. And you too understand what that, that is like to be comforted. I know what that's like. I've experienced some really, really hard things. And the Lord has been so present in the depths of that grief. But at the end of the day, it's the promises of the Lord that she's choosing to believe that is sustaining her. And so I asked her, I then went on to ask her, and I said, okay, I said, in, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul, as he tells us what we can expect related to our loved ones in heaven, and he says, so encourage each other with these words. What does encouragement look like to you in the middle of it? Because it certainly doesn't look like, oh, just let go and let God. Or God, heaven needed another angel. Don't say that. Don't say that. That's just like, what? No. I want the angel here then. You know, that's in the moment. Maybe that's meant well, but that's not comforting. And so what does it look like? And, um, and one of the things I thought about was in Exodus when Moses was battling the uh, Amalekites. And he was in this fierce battle on behalf of all the wayward, cranky Israelites that were driving him crazy. It was up to him to lead these wayward people to the promised land. And they were in the midst of this battle. And I want to read it to you because this is what I thought it looks like when we are to encourage one another. It's Exodus 17. I just want to read it quickly. It says, while the people of Israel were still in something, I can't even pronounce it. The warriors of Amalek sorry, attacked them. And Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, listen to this, Moses, Aaron, and Hur, three men, Moses, his um, buddy Aaron and buddy Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. And as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. So Moses' arms soon became so tired that he could no longer hold them up. And uh, it says, so Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. And they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. To me, Moses, that picture of Moses holding up his hands is an act of faith on Moses', uh, Moses part. He's believing and he's trusting the Lord. And that staff was given to him by God himself. And so as he's holding up that staff, he's expressing his faith and belief in God Almighty. That apart from you, God, we can't win this battle. He's coming to the Lord with humility, but with great confidence that, God, you are our victor. And so as my sweet friend Jana walks this grief out, 
She's holding up her arms because she's clinging to the promises of God. And she's saying, you are with me. There is a heaven that's real. Jeremiah is with you. He's whole. But she also said, my arms get tired. And the grief is a physical experience. And it is painful. And it doesn't go away. And it may subside as the years come, but five months into it, it's as fresh and even worse than it was when it happened. And so for her, what has been most encouraging are the friends that have come alongside and have not necessarily had the right answer or the Christian cliche, but they've literally held up her arms. They've brought her meals. They've walked beside her. They've prayed for her. Yes, that is what it means to encourage one another, show up in their lives. If you, for a minute, take a step back because you're afraid you'll say something stupid or insensitive or you won't know what to say, you are, um, I don't say this lightly, the enemy is winning. When you see a sister that is in grief, you step forward and you step into the middle of that. The greatest friends are the ones that sit in it with us. And they sit as long as they need to. And they don't sit with an expectation of, all right, this has been enough time. Let's get going. Pick up. They just sit without an expectation that this is how you grieve. Because we grieve differently. We all grieve differently, but we grieve. And so here's what I want to say as we close. (laughs) This is, I mean, to end on this one is not very like, woo, upbeat. But I think it's critical because here's the thing it makes me sad when I see Christian men and women walking around ill-equipped because not if but when tragedy strikes because we live I feel like this world is a battlefield and there are mines everywhere and we step on them unintentionally and those that we step on come through like um, loss of job death failed relationships whatever it is health crisis, but they just come and, and, and it's, it's like we're walking in battle and we're not equipped. And the equipping comes through faith. We've got to believe the truth and we've got to know the truth so that we grieve with those that have hope. No greater testimony in my mind than those men and women that are authentic in their grief. They don't try and pretend that it's not hard, but they don't grieve without hope. And so encourage each other um, as we, oh, it's 11 o'clock. As we close, I just want to tell you that we as Christians, the marker of our faith, the reason others ought to be attracted to us is because of hope. It's not because we have right answers. It's not because we're morally sound. Good grief, we're a mess, aren't we? We make mistakes every five minutes. So if they're looking at us because... They want us to be their moral compass. Boy, we will fail each other. But boy, I sure can have hope. I am not going to be perfect until I'm in heaven. But I can have hope that sustains me as I walk this life out. Nothing is more attractive because that hope, like Hebrews 6.19 said, leads us into the inner sanctuary of God himself. There's no greater intimacy that we can have than when we believe him. We believe him and say, Lord, in this situation that I hate, that I want to go away, that I think might kill me, I'm going to trust you and believe you. And God shows up every single 
time. We have so many reasons to have hope, but one of the greatest is that death has lost its sting. I don't have to be afraid of it. I don't have to be afraid that my loved ones aren't in heaven, but boy, does it give me an urgency to talk to those that don't know Jesus. I pray that you find encouragement in this today as you leave because the day is coming when we are going to celebrate at a feast in heaven that is going to be far greater than chicken salad, than the best split pea soup that we could ever imagine. We will sit at the feast, supper of the lamb, with all of our loved ones, all of our loved ones, and we and the the. Men and women that have gone before us, Scripture says in Hebrews, therefore, since we have, we're surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, that's talking about the men and women that have gone before us, we're going to be reunited with all of them again, and we're going to celebrate, and when that happens, there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more curveballs, there'll be no more failure, there'll be no more mess. It'll all be great, but until then, we believe by faith and not by sight. Let me pray for us. Lord, cause us by the power of your spirit to be women that believe the truth regardless of how we feel. And I pray that as we continue to walk in courageous faith in the most difficult times, I pray that our emotions line up and that we experience peace that passes understanding. You are a good God. I can't imagine life without you. Where would we be without the hope of Jesus? And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, ladies, we're officially done. Um, okay, so here's how we will be in touch with you. We will be in touch with you via email. Sylvia and Sue, will, we will keep you abreast of the situation and where we'll meet in the fall, what will happen, all that good stuff. So be in prayer for us because we sure do need it and want it. Thanks. Thank you. Can I tell you all something real quick? Um, I got to go to a pre-screening of The Young Messiah. It's a movie that's coming out March 11th, and it's fabulous. Yeah? So go. It's a movie that we should support. Hopefully, you know, Hollywood can make more movies if we're supportive of it. Young Messiah. Okay. Good. Thank you. Y'all happy Easter too. Love you. Bye. Good to see
Yeah, I wasn't expecting that announcement. Was oh, what? No, nobody oh. told me this. Oh, they weren't meeting in the six weeks? Yeah. I mean, the four weeks. Board, so I don't hear any of this yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, you're killing me. We can't not meet. I mean, honestly, Kim, um, just financially, it is. You know what? It's just, it, that's why we're really trying to pray through. Well, here's the thought. I was thinking as you were doing your message, I couldn't even, I couldn't even hardly listen to you. I was so upset. Oh, sorry. Um, but what if, like, like the guy we have a room that doesn't have to be catering room. If we could just put chairs in lines and come in for coffee at 10 o'clock and, and have everybody drop 10 bucks in a kitty, I would absolutely do that. 